Today we're going to be talking about Chapter 4, Season 1, Episode 4, titled Sanctuary. I, I really enjoyed it, like the first time I watched that, and I really enjoyed it on the rewatches. Every mission of the week offers something for the characters to learn, and in this case I think that Mando learns a lot. He smacks Mando in the head a few times, and he, it's like he's been punched in the face and he's wearing like a solid metal helmet. No questions asked, so we'll just allow that. Hello there, and welcome to episode 31 of Live from Vader's Castle. As always, you're joined by your hosts, Dan McQuarrie and John Lee. How are you doing, John? Hello, Dan. Yeah, I'm not doing too bad. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's the weekend, so not much to complain about. Yeah, living the dream on a nice, I don't know, cold day in England. A nice cold Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Aut- autumnal is how I'd describe it. Yeah, I- I'd call mine winter, but you know, I'm... I'm a few hundred miles more north than you, so ours is basically a winter's day at this point. It's very cold. I mean, you can't you can't have everything. You've got the nice views, so yeah, you, exactly. uh, you have to put up with the weather. Yeah, very true indeed. Um, it's also been a, uh, an exciting week in the in the world of Star Wars, as always. It seems. Yeah, I mean, it seems like we spend this every week, which is an absolute dream, to be honest. I mean, who thought in well, like, I don't know, five years ago, maybe when like Star Wars was a bit in the in the background that we'd be uh, in a couple of years time be have news every week or something I know I know and the news we're of course talking about is the uh, the new trailer for the book of Boba Fett um, so we thought we'd discuss it briefly before we dive into the main um, segment of this episode which is of course us continuing our Mandalorian rewatch with episode 4 um, but before we do that Book of Boba Fett. What are you thinking, John? I think it looks unbelievable. The tra- I think the, the trailer did well with like not giving too much away, but still hyping up my anticipation. Um, so yeah, I'm actually it's getting me it's getting me gassed. I mean, I kind of just there's been so much going on recently in the, in the world of Star Wars and everything that I kind of it's been in the back of my mind. I'm not going to lie, I kind of forgotten about it until uh, until the trailer drops, and I was like, oh oh yeah, that's coming up in a few months' time. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think got me positively excited without giving away anything really about the plot. Like I still don't really know what the show is going to be about, apart from it seems Boba Fett is trying to either unite the underworld or rule over it. Not really sure what's going on, which is good. I very much got the sense that all that footage is probably, or well, majority of that footage is probably just from like the first episode and everything else that happens in the show is practically unknown to us, which again is a good sign. Um, I'm just very happy to see my boy Tamara Morrison back as Boba Fett. He kills it. Um, Fennec Shand as well. Good for ming Wen to be back again. Great character. It's uh, it's exciting times, for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad, obviously. I mean, it was, it was pretty much no doubt, was it, that I told Tamara Morrison to be back as Boba Fett in this in this show. I mean, same as he was, he played Boba Fett in The Mandalorian, but it's, you know, you never know what's going to happen these days. So it was nice that it's that he's there in the trailers. We get to see him again in all his glory, uh, as well as uh, Fennec Shan, you know, get to see little glimpses of her in the, uh, in the, in the trailer at Boba Fett's side. So I think I'm really excited to see more of their character, um, like their characters, their relationship, in the in the show because I think they did 
it was interesting, you know, towards the back end of Mando season two, seeing them like together. So I'll be, I'm really interested to see how their relationship works out, like on the main focus of the show. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I think it's an, they're an interesting pairing, particularly because we're learning a bit more about like Fennec Shand and Bad Batch from like her past and stuff. So it's going to be cool to see where she goes next. I do have one complaint about the trailer though, John, I'm going to admit. <laughs> What's that? Uh, there was no Bosk. Um, I'm disappointed because there was no Bosk. I was waiting for Bosk. I didn't see Bosk. I saw some Trandoshans and I, I perked up for a minute. I, I sort of put my um, binoculars on. I was like, is that Bosk? It wasn't Bosk. So I'm still waiting for Bosk. Um, I'm hoping Luke's film is intentionally saving Bosk for his grand reveal in the first minute of episode one, when they actually say this show is not called the book of Boba Fett, it's actually the book of Bosk. And we've been keeping it a secret from you the whole time. Boba Fett gets killed off in the first minute. It's just all about Bosk. <laughs> I mean, I'm kind of just, I have a, I just, I think it'd be funny if um, there's literally like a comic the week before that Bosk dies in and, That'll be your hopes and dreams ruined. And then don't you, uh, don't you, horrible for you. Oh. That actually quite made me laugh. They'll be like, no. typical, typical. They've been they've uh they've left it all this time. Could have killed him <laughs> off last year, but they're they're gonna wait till I don't know, when's it out? Twenty fourth of December or whatever. So they're gonna wait. December, yeah. Yeah, so they're gonna the week before, twenty second. Oh, no. oh, that's pain. No, because I've just I was just reading some comics this week, the the Bounty Hunters comic, and like he's in that briefly. He's like regrowing his legs after Boba Fett blew them off in the War of the Bounty Hunters. So um, I take that as a sign that not only is Bosk going to be back to full fighting strength by the time we hopefully see him in the show, and he's all but he'll also be ready to tear Boba Fett limb from limb, which which is a fight I hope to see. Because I love Bosk and Boba Fett, but mostly Bosk. It'd be really interesting, actually, if Bosk does appear um, to see that little um, reunion and see if there's any bad blood between them or if they're just like, you know, bounty hunters, you know, we have to fight every now and again. It's, it is what it is, sort of vibe. Actually, yeah, be annoyed. <laughs> yeah. But no, apart from my minor Bosk disappointment, which isn't really a disappointment because I kind of want them to keep that surprise just for me being the only person in the world who's going to be gassed when Bosk shows up in this show. I want them to keep that surprise for me. But yeah, I thought it was a sick trailer. Um, definitely interested with what's going on. I liked seeing Jabba's Palace again, Tatooine. It's quite cool seeing one of the Bomar monks at the beginning, the little spider robot with the the, 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 the uh, glass bowl, which contains the brain of the Bomar monk. I thought that was a cool little Easter egg. Um, yeah. So yeah. Very excited to book a Boba Fett. 29th of December can't come any sooner. Yeah, I'm very excited. Those Bymar monks really creep me out, actually. Yeah, they're yeah, very, they're very creepy. creepy. <laughs> I remember I seeing them in probably Lego Star Wars, like the original one. And I was like, what on earth is that? And because it was on the trailer, I literally recently found out that it's literally a robotic spider with a brain in it and this Ian Freaker. I'm glad I didn't realise that as a child. <laughs> that would have um, that would have scarred me. Yeah, I hope they play quite a big part in this. I hope Boba and the Bomar monks become all friendly and help each other out <laughs> with their enlightened state of living, of them just being a brain in a in a spider. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see if they what they're going to add 
if not just be like creepy background characters. Mm. But I mean, they chose it to be the very first shot of the trailer. So it's either Favreau and Filoni are just like massive Bomar Monk nerds and just wanted to have it in the first shot or they actually do have an important part to play in the series. So I guess we'll have to, I guess we'll have to find out. Yeah, we'll have to wait and see in Filoni we trust. Well, exactly. So um, as as you can imagine, you can look forward to our uh, Book of Boba Fett coverage on the podcast starting when it comes out. So uh after every episode, you can tune in to our great wisdom and <laughs> discussions about about the new Disney Plus show. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to the, the nice discussions to have afterwards. I mean, they're always very exciting when a new show comes out. So that'll be, that'll be something to look forward to. That and my weekly Bosk watch of... <laughs> is, is Bosk in the episode yes or no? It will depend on whether I give it a 10 out of 10 or not. <laughs> Watch like that. Nice. Um, only have a little bit of uh, sort of news, I guess, but more like a preview of next week is obviously Disney Plus Day. I think they call it Disney Plus Day is next Friday. I think the twelfth is next Friday. Um, yeah, next Friday. So um, we're hearing some rumours about what trailers we might be seeing, specifically one starring an Obi Wan Kenobi. Um, so that. It's going to be very exciting. Um, as we mentioned last week, and I'll mention again this week, we'll be covering all the cool trailers, news, posters, everything that comes out of the Star Wars segment of the Disney Plus Day stream next week. So uh, make sure you don't miss that either. That'll be, a, that'll be a fun discussion. And if we see Obi-Wan Kenobi pop up onto screen and go, hello there, I think the podcast might not come out because me and John both might be dead. Yeah, we've got very high hopes for that. And if, yeah, as you say, if an Obi Wan trailer does, does, if an Obi Wan trailer does drop, that'll be, yeah, heart stops, drop dead. That's the end of the podcast. Well, I, my genuine like prediction is that it's going to be only like a minute long, and it's just going to be like it's going to have like Alec Guinness's voice, and it's going to be like Obi Wan Kenobi. That's a name I haven't heard in a very long time. And then it's just going to be shots of him wandering about the desert, and then we'll just hear like. Uh, or Darth Vader like breathe at the end like just be like everyone's still going to lose their mind <laughs> yes that's not a bad shout actually that's, that's kind of what I had in mind as well for like what they're going to announce next week if they do give anything away for uh, Obi-Wan yeah maybe they'll um, maybe they'll turn around and confirm that Bosk is in Book of Boba Fett for me <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, you're hoping on a dream there the stream will start and Kathy Kennedy will be like, I've got good news for all Star Wars fans. Bosk is going to be in Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> I'll be at home like, yes, come on. Class. Anyway, should we, should we dive into the main the main segment of today's episodes? Uh, the Mandalorian. Yeah, I mean, another another rewatch and a, another fantastic rewatch, I might, I might have to say. A great episode. Yeah, so today we're going to be talking about um, Chapter 4. So Season 1, Episode 4 titled Sanctuary. Um, this episode, I think it was about April 2020 when it came out in the UK, but it first premiered in the USA on the 29th of November 2019, long time ago now. Um, of course, written by John Favreau and this time directed by Bryce Dallas Howard, who is the daughter of Ron Howard, who directed Solo. So they're keeping it in the family with this one. Um, this this episode is an interesting one because it's, it's one of those episodes that some folk didn't really like that much. They thought it was a little bit of a step down. Um, me personally, 
from the first time I've watched it to every time I've rewatched it since up until literally rewatching it today. I'm a big fan of this episode. Um, I have a lot of positive things to say about it and I'm, I'm looking forward to discussing it today. Yeah, me too. I mean, I I really enjoyed it like, the first time I watched it and I really enjoyed it <clears throat> on the rewatches. I mean, it, I think it just, it does a nice thing of paying homage to like the themes that the whole show on like season one and two um, really base itself off and things like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's repetitive. The storyline is fairly repetitive to some of the things you've seen in like uh, Clone Wars before. And obviously, um, like like Seven Samurai and sort of stuff is obviously like the um, original storyline that is from. I'm sure it's Seven Samurai. I could be completely wrong. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 It's a Seven Samurai homage. Um, but yeah. then Seven Samurai has been repeated in The Magnificent Seven. And then I think they did, they did do an episode of Clone Wars based on it as well. So yeah, it's a, it's a common story homage that's been done before. Yeah. But I just think it's so, cause it's so obvious. I mean, how much George Lucas and anyone else who's then written director Star Wars, um, afterwards has used those sort of films and stuff for inspiration. I think it fits perfectly as like an episode for the Mandalorian. Like it, it, it's just a nice way of, Given homage to what is such an obvious, um, you know, base of ideas. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but inspiration, yeah. inspiration. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> given homage to such an obvious inspiration for many of the themes in Star Wars. So I think it was a good episode. Yeah, yeah, and I liked it because it sort of dealt with the immediate aftermath of last of the previous episode where Din Djarin has to escape um, Navarro with baby Yoda, the child, um, because he, he couldn't, he couldn't live with himself after handing him into the evil client and he breaks him out and he runs away with him. And he's essentially now has this new purpose of finding somewhere safe and like hidden for the, for the child to grow up. Um, and along with that come, he gets tied into this seven samurai-esque, um, storyline where a village is being, attacked by raiders and they need some help um so i, I think it it deals a lot with the the storyline as it should be but then it also does a nice job of being like a you know like a mission of the week in a positive way because i think a lot of people do criticize mandalorian sort of like mission of the week structure but i think people need to remember that star wars itself is based off of like old adventure serials from like the 50s and 60s like or even before that um like television where you know be shows like flash gordon where every episode would be like an adventure of the week and kids would just sit down and like watch it in the morning and like that is what star wars is based off so i think having a show which continues that much like clone wars did for a while before it sort of became more like arc based and rebels did for a while became before it came more arc based as well i do think it's very natural for star wars and i i think every mission of the week offers something for the characters to learn. And in this case, I think that Mando learns a lot. It affects his relationship with baby Yoda a lot. And I think we obviously meet an interested new character in Cara Dune as well. So I, I, I refuse the filler argument if anyone's making it, but I don't know if people are still making it. Yeah, I completely agree. And plus this, you know, it's the fourth uh, episode in, in the first season of the show. Like, you, you kind of have to have these sort of episodes to give you, as we said when we were talking about Bad Batch, you know, give you time with the characters so you form 
those relationships for like the bigger stuff, you know, at the end of the season and in, in later seasons. So you can't have like big banging episodes like the first couple episodes, every episode, as we said, with Bad Batch. You got to have things that, yeah, missions have to go on. And as you said, like missions of the week and stuff, just to give us time with the characters and then to see how they, yeah, as you said, learn things and then develop as characters for then the big payoffs at the end. So Muppets, yeah. who call it filler. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I, I do think just because of the strength of the series, I, I can understand it being one of the weaker episodes of the series. But I, I don't know. I struggle to like find any criticisms about this episode, really. I just, I really enjoy it. Like, I think, I mean, we'll go into sort of specific moments, but right from like the, the opening before the credits roll, um, with the village being attacked right through to the end where, you know, Mando has to decide to take him and Baby Yoda away from this sort of new sanctuary he's found. Um, I just think it's a really strong episode. It's got some great action, some funny moments, some good character moments, beautifully shot as well. Like the, the location they use is pretty stunning and all the, the cinematography in it looks really good. Ludwig Goranson is always killing it on the music. Like I love the little... Um, the music that he made for this village in particular. It's just great. Positives all round. Yeah, no, I completely agree. As 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 you said, we'll get into it in a second. But yeah, some some great action scenes between um Mando and like Cara Dune. There's some funny moments in two as well. Uh, and then obviously at the end of the episode there's like a good uh, an enjoyable fight sequence and dramatic ending um with the action and stuff. So yeah, I think ticks all the boxes for me yeah yeah definitely and I, I think that in a show like the mandalorian like variety helps a lot and i think the first three episodes i love all of them don't get me wrong but they they follow quite similar threads in terms of the plot they're sort of stylistically quite similar um they're very much sort of you know this very specific story of you know finding the child delivering the child escaping with the child and sort of now, like Favreau's posing the question of like, right now, this Mandalorian has a new child with him. What's he going to do? And I think this episode answers that question really nicely and just gives us something a little bit different from what we've come to expect from only three episodes of this entire show. Yeah, exactly. I think what this does well is it, I think what this episode does well is bring Mando's like choice of what he wants to do with the child, like to the forefront because. Obviously, we see in the last three episodes, he, you know, as you say, Greg got the child, delivered the child, and then obviously had a big moral dilemma and was like, this is not correct. You know, I need to now go <clears throat> and rescue the child. But it's the whole, well, then what do you do afterwards? As you just said, you know, he's a bounty hunter. Like, is this really the life for a small baby? You know, I don't think Mando had really thought that far ahead in his plan. All he thought is... I need to save this child like and didn't really think about what he needed to do afterwards so i think this this episode just brings that to the forefront which is a, the obvious next step in his journey i mean and it is literally the fourth episode of the season so i think if it went anywhere else that would probably be a bit silly yeah yeah and i think as as, as we've been saying like having having that opportunity for the the mandalorian's character to be challenged in this way of like how am I going to protect this child? Um, how is that going to change who I am? And you know, what like, what does like safe look like, I guess? Like what does protecting this child actually look like? What does making him safe look like? Is that 
sort of leaving him on a quiet farm in the middle of nowhere where he'll never be found? Or is that, you know, keeping him by my side where I can protect him from, you know, the bounty hunters who will be finding him because, you know, there's a fob <laughs> tracking him as he discovers at the end. Yeah, I mean, as I was re-watching the episode, I was trying to remember how, um, why he ends up leaving. And obviously the, the fob at the end is the the um, the main reason. Otherwise, I think, I think to be fair, Mando would have been quite happily staying on that planet, but the fob was a bit of a deal breaker. Yeah, I mean, he, he went through that whole dilemma of, do I stay on the planet with the nice widow lady and take my helmet off and just live the nice relaxed life? Or, you know, do I... It's, and then he goes through that whole dis- discussion with Cara Dune, essentially comes to the decision that like, no, this is like, I don't fit in here. I'm a bounty hunter. The child's better off without me. You guys as farmers are better off without me. I'm going to take off and leave him here. And that's the, the decision he makes right up until the end with the fob when he, you know, realizes that to keep this child safe, he's going to have to have him permanently. Um, so it is an important journey for him to go on in this episode. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think the poor, I mean, it's good in the end that he goes off with Grogu, uh, the baby, the child, because I think poor, I think they would have missed each other too much if they'd been separated. I think Grogu would have been heartbroken and that would have swayed his turn to the dark side of the force. That would have been it. Sith Grogu confirmed. <laughs> yeah, those the children on the farm would have turned him to the dark side with all their pranks uh, playing on the frogs and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, that'd have been it. Uh, Grogu been out there slaughtering younglings, just like Anakin. <laughs> so, do you want to dive into some of our favourite moments? Um, why don't you go first? What, what's what's some just name name one of your favourite moments from this episode? Whether it's an action moment, a, a dramatic moment, a comedy moment, one of your favourites. Uh, my my favourite moment from this, I think this encaptures a bit of action, a little bit of comedy. And that is um, the the scene where we first get introduced to Cara Dune, uh, and Mando sits down for his little dinner with Grogu, um, and then Cara Dune disappears. So he goes out to find her, uh, and then they, they have a little scrap. I think that the fight sequence there is is really good. I think it, it shows off, off off the bat that Cara Dune is not not a simple girl to be messed with. You know, she's not she's not some little weakling. She she held her own against uh, Mando there. Uh, into the fight and it ended on a little standoff um, which then was the great comedy moment of just Grogu sitting there eat, drinking his, his soup uh, which I think was memed quite heavily for months to come after that uh, I think it, there's a meme still going for it I think, I'm pretty sure you you could scour Twitter and it'd still be going uh, so that was a great comedy moment there after an, an intense little fight sequence to introduce uh, the character of Cara Dune yeah, yeah, it was a really cool fight sequence, and I particularly like the moment at the end where they sort of both like roll over and point the guns at each other in that sort of stalemate. And then, as you say, it sort of pans up to little baby Yoda drinking his bone broth, which was uh, very cute and very funny. Um, I like that. As you said, I like that whole sort of introduction of Cara doing the, the weird sort of little bar and the waitress at the bar, um, like all that stuff. I found like quite charming and very like gave me Mos Eisley Cantina vibes from A New Hope, very much like the weird bar with like aliens doing weird stuff. I mean, um, Baby Yoda bumps into a little um, loath cat whilst he's there as well. So yeah, I agree. It was a cool introduction and it was it was nice, the little scene after they have their fight when we actually learn a bit more about like Cara Dune and the fact that she's a, an ex-rebel. Um, 
and that she's you know dipped from the fight now. Yeah, it was, I really I really enjoyed it rewatching it actually. I will say I have a few questions on how you know she smacks Mando in the head a few times and he acts like he's been punched in the face and he's wearing like a solid metal helmet. It's like well, no questions asked. So we'll just allow that. Um, and then obviously big, at the end of the little fists. stalemate, and big big strong yeah, fists, big big strong fists, uh, and then. The stalemate at the end there. I mean, it, it was a stalemate looking at it, but if she'd shot and Mando had shot, you know, Mando's wearing the best guy arm and he would have been fine and Cara Dune would have been toast. So, well, I mean, I think uh, Cara Dune was playing uh, checkers and Mando was playing chess there. I mean, he he put it into a stalemate position knowing that he was coming out on top should the, should the shots be fired. Yeah, I like to think, in my head canon is I like to think he actually just respected that she was a damn good fighter, so didn't want to kill her because he was like, it's actually a pretty good fighter that I'm fighting right here. You know, I could easily win, obviously, but, you know, I pay my respect. Yeah, exactly. I, it, I thought, yeah, I agree, because obviously then they just kind of looked at each other and was like, oh, are we done now? <laughs> that was a good little fight. Let's go get some food. <laughs> Let's go get some spotka. Was, it, was that what, what the the um, alcohol was called, spotka? The krill? Uh, I think so. I think so. Yeah, made from, made from krill, um, a, bit, a bit strange. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. That was a fun scene, good action, good comedy. Um, I think one of one of the moments I really liked, I, I briefly mentioned it a couple of minutes ago, but the the opening scene before like the Mandalorian boom comes up on the screen. Um, and that's when the krill farmers are all living their happy life on this like picturesque, beautiful farm. Um, and then suddenly they're attacked by the, the Klatuinian raiders. Um, I just loved the scene because it just gave me proper, like magnificent, like magnificent seven, seven samurai, like proper Western or like vibes when it's just like a village getting raided. They have nothing that they can do to fight back. And then the raiders leave and then they all just look very upset and sad. I thought like the way it was shot was really cool. The, um, the mother and the daughter like hiding under the basket, it's quite quite intense in terms of like attention. I just thought it was like a really unique way to open the show because I remember the very, very first time around I watched it, I was like, wait a minute, like where's the Mandalorian? Because obviously the show is called The Mandalorian. I expect he would be there like right at the beginning, but obviously it starts with something completely different to sort of set the scene. Um, so I thought it was a bold, bold and unique opening to the episode and I, I, I do particularly like it. No, yeah, that's a good point, actually. I didn't even think about it on the rewatch. Um, I was like, yeah, they're opening with action far away from our um, protagonists of the time. The only thing I will say about those Raiders, I don't know if I've missed it watching it twice, because I, I might have, is that did, did they ever really give a proper explanation as like what why they were raiding them? Or was it just like for the shits and giggles? They just wanted to steal their krill. To uh, make watch car. Yeah, <laughs> I just wanted the crew. That's fair enough, you know. Yeah, because you know, later on when Mando and Cara Dune like blow up that tent, like the tent's got like the vats where they're like brewing the spotchka. Um, so yeah, they're literally just raiding them to like make booze, basically. Fair enough. I mean, that's very like I feel like that's a kind of very old school like Viking raid sort of thing. We'll go rob them for their booze. So just asking, <laughs> asking and paying for it, we're just going to go and nick it. Uh, I mean, I respect it. I've just got a hustle. They're just British, aren't they? They just, they just really want a pint at the end of the weekend, and they're like, "Well, we're not going to pay for it. We're just going to steal it." <laughs> we'll take yours, thank you very much. Yeah, um, 
Any other favourite moments from you? Um, I think mine are just like the big action ones, to be honest. I mean, the, I really liked, well, I suppose I like the montage, like the training montage. Again, just because of like the clear influence of like Seven Samurai. And it, it really reminded me of the um, the episode of Clone Wars where they literally do like the exact same thing, like training the villagers, um, how to fight and stuff. I just, I just really like the comparison between obviously Seven Samurai, Clone Wars, and then Mandalorian, like just how they keep the themes going. And I just really like that. And then obviously the big fight at the end where the, um, some of the villagers really, uh, so they surprised me with their fighting abilities. Um, or just sheer determination, I think. I'd put yeah. I wouldn't say fighting abilities. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. I'm a sucker for a good training montage in any film, really, like Rocky. You know, all these films where they have good little training montages. I love it. I thought this one was really cool. Like, the music was sick. Watching, like, Mando trying to teach all these, like, farmers how to shoot a rifle was quite funny. Um, and then, obviously, like, Cara Dune was, like, trying to teach the farmers how to shank with a spear <laughs> so yeah I like, I like that bit as well and then yeah as you were saying like the big battle scene at the end I thought like the setting was really cool like it being at night and like the big red eyes on the ATST like that's obviously not something that we've seen before so that was really unique and then you know the whole trick like trying to trick the ATST to fall in the pond and it not quite doing it like definitely built up like a lot of tension in that moment and Obviously, like Cara doing killed it with the whole like, you know, running forward with the pulse rifle and like trying to trick it forward. But the bit that got me the most gas when I was watching it was just when like Mando, when it fell over, Mando just like gets up with like one of the little bombs and like runs and tries to like pop it in the head to blow it up. That bit, um, I just thought that bit was a really, really cool action scene. And after the training montage makes you like feel more connected to like the farmers and it definitely has that, um, like key Star Wars theme of like, you know, anyone can be strong and powerful in the galaxy and, you know, stronger together than a, than alone and that sort of thing. So um, I thought it was a really cool action scene to, to end the episode. Yeah. I really, I really liked the, uh, the ATST with the red eyes. I think I remember reading some trivia about this a couple, uh, a while ago. Apparently it's just because they did it because um, obviously the director uh, for this episode, uh, Oh, what's her name? Bryce Howard. Um, obviously was in Jurassic, the new Jurassic Park film. So apparently she just wanted it to give it a feel of like a T-Rex or you know, like the T-Rex from Jurassic Park. She kind of wanted to give it like that sort of vibe, like when it emerged from the foliage to when it was chasing down Mando and uh Cara Dune, um, just before they get back to the village. Apparently she was really going for like that sort of like T-Rex chasing down its prey sort of vibe, which I think reading that and watching it back you actually really get that from the from the shots and i think she she was clever to try and weave those two worlds together and try and get a little bit of the same sort of feeling you get watching like jurassic the t-rex in jurassic park and then a similar sort of vibe for the atst in this this mandalorian episode yeah yeah i definitely think that comes across that particularly when it's chasing the two of them through the woods like it does feel like really menacing presence because i think the the trouble with that I guess that they had was that the last time we'd like seen ATSTs, like they had been taken out by a bunch of little teddy bears. So the idea that like ATSTs, like one single ATST was like incredibly like menacing and that the whole village should be like terrified of it. They needed to do something to really like sell that. 
And I think that they did do a really good job. Like obviously the big red eyes, like it marching through the woods, like did make it come across like really menacing. And the fact that we never saw like the pilot on the inside just sort of made it feel like more intense because it made it feel like it was a like an actual living being as opposed to, you know, just a vehicle. Um so yeah, it's it's interesting that she mentioned the Jurassic Park influence. After you said that, like that definitely comes across. Um, it felt like a big scary dinosaur marching through the woods. So um, yeah, good direction from uh, from Bryce Dallas Howard on that one. It, it's a really effective scene. Yeah, I think it just goes to show. I think one of the strengths that comes from the Mandalorian episodes is is when they obviously having different directors have put their take on it because obviously. John Favreau writes, uh, John Favreau, Dave Filoni and all that, they write their script and it's got to follow, like, it's got to go from A to Z. But having a different director in for each episode or different few directors for each episode allows you to put a little bit of a spin on it. I think this is one of the instances where that it's worked out really well. Um, I mean, it's, it's something that you don't realise it, maybe when you're watching it, but once someone points it out, it's like, oh, wow, like, you can really see the influence. And I think watching it for the first time when I did watch it, you know, something did feel a little bit special about that ATST. And as you said, like not having been able to see it on in it, um, just the way it was shot. I think that was really, really cleverly done from, uh, from Bryce. And it just goes to show the, the strength of having multiple people put their creative spin on it while still having like a big figurehead, which is steering the ship basically. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that is one of the big strengths of the Mandalorian as a show is, a variety of episodes through like the different creatives that they've got you know writing and well obviously Favreau lead writing but like on directing um and how those directors can affect each episode as you were saying um one of my other favorite moments that I do well it's a very small moment but I just I found it really funny is right at the beginning of the episode when um Mando and Baby Yoda are in the Razor Crest flying to Sorgan and Baby Yoda's just like flicking all the switches <laughs> on the Razor Crest cockpit. And Mando's like, don't touch that, don't touch that. And he just keeps on like flicking all the switches. I just thought that was a really funny moment. Obviously, it's like good physical comedy. Like he's a cute baby, like mucking about. Like it's obviously going to be funny. But I think it just, it, it shows like a very different Mando to the one that we literally seen in the previous episode where he was very like, not quite, not quite aggressive, but like quite stern with like the baby when they were like flying back to Navarro and, you know, he was trying to play with the ball thing and he was saying, oh, like, no, leave it, don't touch it, picking him up and like plonking him back in his, in his little cop thing. Whereas in this, he's very much like letting him sort of roam around and um, he's clearly s- slowly starting to adjust to this idea of being a parent basically and not being this sort of... Um, sort of stern, gruff, potentially angry and aggressive bounty hunter, but actually trying to be like this like kind father figure. So I do think it's quite an effective little scene. And the my favourite shot of this entire episode is the, the shot of um <clears throat> like Mando stepping out of the razor crest and like the door lowering. And then <laughs> it looks like he's on his own. And then just as the door gets like down the final few inches, it reveals that baby Yoda's like stood right next to him when he's been told to stay in the cockpit. I just think that's a really funny like visual gag and like good use of camera work there to to tell quite a quite an effective little joke. Maybe chuckle. No, uh, yeah, I completely agree. I think yeah, that that first scene with Mando and uh, baby Yoda, um, the child, uh, it, it it does show as you say how he's slowly easing up a bit and not being as stern as we've seen in the other episodes. And then I think 
the work the they kept that theme going like, throughout the episode as well. Like when um that kid comes in and asks to like play with um Grogu and stuff and he's kinda like you can tell like he just wants to say no and just go on with it, but you know, he like sighs and it's like, yeah, go on. And like, yeah, go play. And then I think they go to leave the heart and you know, Mando's a bit like hesitant about it and he wants to you know, tell him to to stay and go back to being that stern self. But I think the uh, <clears throat> the woman that he's he's talking to at the time, uh, Mera, I think her name is, uh, is just like, no, it's fine. Like they're fine. The children, they'll be fine. I think she she has a good impact on him in this episode as well to then take that even further for him to like relax a bit more and be more of like a father figure to Grogu than just like his bodyguard. Yeah, yeah, and it's <clears throat> it's sort of like like aspect of him like learn, learning to like let go a little bit which is like something that like parents are supposed to go through when their kids get to like 18 but Mando's having to learn very quickly with this baby that he has to like let go a little bit because you know he's obviously just saved his life from you know being killed by bounty hunters basically and now he sort of has to just let it go and roam free on the farm and and then there's obviously the very end of the episode when like Mando has to persuade himself to like leave Grogu behind on this planet and like literally leave him forever and probably never see him again, <clears throat> which obviously does change at the end of the episode. Um, but I think there's a lot of stuff going on with Mando of like, you know, he obviously when he starts doesn't doesn't necessarily care for this child, but there's enough sort of the innocence in the child's eyes for him not to kill him in the very, very first episode. So it's him dealing with that, like, oh, damn, I have a conscience, <laughs> which he probably hasn't had to think about his entire life. Um, so, yeah, I think this episode does a lot of that heavy lifting in terms of Mando's character really well. Yeah, well, I think, well, I think this show does really well, um, and especially in this episode. It's, it's just like the little character beats that I think really um, drive the character development, especially for Mando in obviously the first season. Um, it's just like the small bits that we've literally just mentioned that really go on to then form how we see Mando in like the first couple of episodes of season two and like obviously at the end of season one. Um, I think it's really, they're really clever on how they tell such like key character developments with such little story beats. You know, it's not like it's they're lacking it. It's just, they tell it in such a way that you can do it very quickly and, you know, not have to waste time focusing on it. And I think they're really clever in the way they, they do that with literally the points you just mentioned. Yeah. And I think the, the, the other little scene which does that really well is when um, the lady comes in to speak to Mando about like his helmet and is asking him about like when was the last time anyone saw your face in the helmet and that conversation I think does a lot of that as well because then that ties into later on when like she goes to take his helmet off and he says no I think you know just those like really subtle moments like tell you so much about like this element of obviously we know now that is an element of Mandalorian culture that he's been sort of dragged into believing and it's not like the Mandalorian way but you know this way that he believes in I think we learn so much more about it in this episode and it's it's just really interesting to see them really um like humanize a character whose face we never see and like really humanize this like bounty hunter who's you know in in Star Wars we typically associate bounty hunters with you know, being nasty, bad news, but in this episode, you know, it really starts to humanise him and make him seem like the good guy, which, you know, is important. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. 
I'm, I was wondering as well, because I don't think we see, we don't see Pedro Pascal's face doing until like the last episode. Is it the last? Of, yeah, um, season yeah, it's one, literally I mean. not till season, um, <laughs> season one, episode eight, yeah. Yeah, because I was wondering if originally in the script they were going to do it in this episode because there was a couple shots where obviously he took off his helmet where he was like watching Grogu and stuff play. But apparently, that's a fun bit of trivia for you, Pedro Pascal is not in this episode like at all. Yes, he does yeah, the yeah. voice, but he, like, um, the actual physical Mando is just his body doubles. Yeah, he had a conflict, uh, like scheduling conflict, which meant he couldn't he couldn't be like the body in this episode. So yeah, you're right. He just he was never in this entire episode. It was just a body double the whole time, and it's just his voice in ADR. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm wondering if like, they were going to give us a, a quick glimpse maybe of his face in some of the scenes here, but couldn't just because he wasn't there. So I decided to leave it to episode eight. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they did, or maybe they really wanted to save that moment for him and IG-11 in the finale. Um, it would be interesting to maybe find that out, but I guess they probably wouldn't reveal that information because then you'd get fans who are like, oh, they didn't have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, someone would definitely be able to, turn, or would definitely try and turn that into some sort of toxic thing. So, so yeah, probably um, best that we don't know. So yeah, so those were some of our favourite moments from the episode. Plenty, plenty cool moments to talk about, both action, comedy, character. Um, should we should we dive into um, my personal favourite segment in these episodes, the standout characters and favourite background characters? Yeah, go for it. Always a fun little discussion there, though. I'll, uh, I'll let you start with your standout character of the episode. Uh, oh, my standout character is a character we get introduced to this episode, and uh, one of uh, my favourites throughout the season, uh, and that is uh, Cara Dune. I think she, I think she's actually just a very cool character. I mean, um, the character herself, I think, is one. It does a great job for like you know women empowerment everywhere and like a representation of you know a strong powerful woman who's able to kick ass and uh all that sort of jazz um and i just i really like the how she, the, the i think she's a really interesting character being like an ex uh rebellion shock trooper um and stuff and i think she just brings so much presence onto the screen when she's when she's uh when, when she's in a scene and I think she ha- she handles herself really well up against you know Mando's like the big character of the of the season and the one that everyone wants to see. But I think she's not drowned out by his presence whenever um, they're on a screen together. And I think they they work off each other really well. Uh, they they have quite quick banter off each other. You know, very quick in the in their relationship. They literally I think it's a couple minutes after they meet and they're already quipping at each other. Um, and that they get on really well. And I think that that was really good because. You know, if you introduce a character and brand new character in Star Wars alongside another brand new character who's like the big fan favorite of the time, it's easy for one to drown out the other. Well, I think Cara Dune does a good job of standing on her own two feet um, and just just being a, a nice presence on the screen alongside Mando. Uh, and also, she just mm. kicks ass. Yeah. So, you know, compare. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I, I, yeah, I'm a big fan of her character, actually. I've even got a. Um... Cara Dune action figure still in the box over there. 
within my view right now, which I'm keeping because I reckon that's going to be worth millions one day because obviously we know everything that's happened with, <laughs> with Gina Carano since. Um, yeah, it's a shame Gina Carano's a Muppet, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah. Um, but characters can live past their actors. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I agree. Really cool character. And I think one of the things I liked was I think the very first time I saw the character I for some reason I expect that I just expected there to be like a really forced like romance between her and Mando um like the very first time we met the character and obviously they didn't go that route and they never did and you know completely made sense for who the character was and who Mando is and you know them sort of being like soldiers in arms as opposed to any sort of you know forced relationship so I do really like that that she's a kick-ass character who stands on her own and um i definitely you know would like a you know maybe a book or a comic because we're probably not going to get <laughs> get it in live action um exploring like a bit of cara dune's past i'd like to see like her involvement on endor because obviously she said she fought on endor um and like her like rounding up imperial warlords and like killing them basically um i'd like to find out a bit more about that sort of stuff in the future yeah definitely I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think we're going to get that in live action anytime soon. Um, maybe an animation with a very talented voice actor to uh, copy the uh, the voice of Gina Carrera. <laughs> but yeah, be, I think it'd be interesting to see a bit of backstory on her because mm-hmm. she does allude to some interesting um, points in, in her history, as you said, you know, taking out uh, Imperial Warlords and like Battle of Endor, mop up, mop up, stuff like that. So hopefully one day that it'd be nice... I think it'd be nice just for Star Wars fans in general to have, or like women Star Wars fans in general, to have like another cool, strong character they can look up to, even if it is just in like a comic or a book at this point. Um, yeah. You know, alongside like Ray and like uh, Fennec Shan and stuff. I think that'd be, it'd be nice. Yeah. I think, I'm just not sure how much is going to happen, but I think because of certain actresses' behaviour online, <laughs> Disney have rightly chosen to distance themselves from the character so the chances of seeing it might be quite slim but you know we can hold out hope for more Cara Dune in some way <laughs> yeah, we can hope and dream <laughs> um I, I guess I've kind of gone for the boring answer here really but my standout character is just Mando himself I just thought this was a really good character episode for him in the sense of you know he goes on quite a journey in the sense of you know, he's trying to look for somewhere safe. Um, he doesn't want to get involved. He gets involved because it's an opportunity to find, you know, to be somewhere safe. Um, he then sort of decides he doesn't want to be involved because it's too dangerous and then realises, actually, we should help them. And then, you know, wants to leave Grogu behind, has that dilemma of, do I stay as well and settle down with this nice lady? Ultimately, no, I'm a bounty hunter. That's, I'm a Mandalorian. This isn't who I am. I'm leaving. I'll leave the kid. And then sort of the depressing realisation at the end that the kid's always going to be tracked by bounty hunters and he's going to have to permanently protect him. Um, and that sort of whole journey that he goes through is like a lot a lot of like character growth in one sort of 40-minute episode. Um, and I do just think that, you know, from all those sort of really interesting character moments too, just like the badass like fight scenes of him, um, you know, him and Cora do have a little scrap and him getting a bit sassy with like the some of the characters and him, you know, blowing up the ATST at the end and just, you know, generally kicking ass. Um it was a, a good episode for Mando and I definitely think by the end of the episode I was just like, yeah, 
that was, that was a standout Mando performance right there from not Pestro and from not Pedro Pascal, but the, the guy who was inside the suit. <laughs> no, I completely agree. Actually, you know, for all the points I think we have mentioned uh, on this episode so far and stuff, I think <clears throat> this is a great episode for Mando's character development, his relationship with um, the Grogu, uh, just like how I think this episode is really well in shaping his choices and what he's going to do like later on in this season and then i think i think you could probably if you'd put a like draw a straight line from like his character development from to like the end of season two and obviously that that tear jerking scene uh episode i think you could definitely draw a straight line from that that point so i think this is like where it starts because obviously we have his him saving Grogu and everything in the episode three, et cetera, et cetera. But that, that was more of like a moral choice of just this is wrong. And I think in this episode, it really starts his journey, as we've mentioned, on being like being a father for Grogu and like actually caring for him instead of just looking after him because he feels guilty otherwise. Yeah, no, really well said. I don't really have anything else to add. You, you, you nailed it there, to be honest. <laughs> um, right, favourite background characters. Um I'll go, I'll go first. I've I've got the guy's name right in front of me there. His uh, his name the name is Stoke, and he is the uh, one of the male krill farmers who um, you know, is involved in this episode. When Mando's at the Razor Crest, there's two blokes who come over to like persuade him to help. And the guy that I've picked, Stoke, has got like the slightly longer hair. He's a bit of a bigger guy. Um, he's in the sort of the montage when Cara Dune is like teaching them to do the stabbing um, he's the one who's like struggling with it a little bit but then it's ultimately like him and another guy who land the finishing blow on like the leader of the, the Klaatuinian raiders um, I just thought he was quite a cool little background character he's got like a, his own little story of being sort of weak and scared and then by the end you know triumphing against evil um, and I just like I just like characters like that where you see them in the background and they have like what one or two lines, but they ultimately have like a little tale about them. And I imagine going forward, this village will be one of the brave defenders of this village in the future, along with um, the lady whose name I've forgotten, who's really good with a blaster rifle. I think, you know, he'll be, he'll be one of the core team who will defend this village for years to come. So uh, Stoke is my, uh, my favorite background character this episode. Nice, an excellent choice. My mine is a very similar character. Uh, it's the, the other guy who we see uh, being a bit timid with the uh, with his fighting uh, halfway through the stuff. And one of the guys uh, originally goes to seek out Mando's help. And uh, I think his name's Caben Cabine. Well, it's, I want to say Cabine. It's one of the two, played by uh, a brilliant actor, in my opinion. I'm going to butcher his name, but it's uh, Asif Ali, I believe, um, and. You might recognise him from in one division if you guys have a Disney Plus subscription and seen that. So Disney are clearly hot on keeping this man around. Um, and I think yeah, it's very similar to the reasons you like uh, Stoke, which is uh, basically just you know one of those characters that at the start was a bit weak, timid, just a regular farmer, didn't really want, didn't really have much much fighting going on about him. But him alongside Stoke delivered one of the final killing blows to one of the Raiders uh, towards the end of the episode. Uh, so it was just nice. I completely agree with what you say. It's just nice seeing a background character who doesn't have much dialogue and stuff, but 
if you watch them closely, actually have quite an interesting character journey um, in in the episode of you know overcoming their fears and being being a protector of the village and stuff. So yeah, I think he'll be part of the core team as well. So shout out to Kabine, my boy. The, the Sorgan Krill Farmers Avengers. He'll definitely the two of them will be <laughs> will be high ranking in it. They'll be the Iron Man, yeah, and Captain definitely. America of the squad. <laughs> definitely leading the charge at every battle. And eventually the, the civil war will happen where the two of them will fall out over how the krill farm's meant to be run and then they'll have a duel with their sharpened sticks. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it'll be quite as a, a dramatic a fight as in the Marvel films, but we're, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, maybe one day. Maybe um, Mando season seven, he comes back to visit Sorgan again and the two of them are just like warlords of like opposing tribes <laughs> <laughs> yeah they've, they've taken it too far now <laughs> how has gone to their head so yeah those uh those two those two background characters can uh can officially be added to our uh background character hall of fame um joining some great legends from some of our previous mando episodes which if you haven't listened to tune into them it's definitely some uh some great characters in the in the hall of fame now four episodes in we've still got another four of this season and then eight of the next season worth background characters to add so look out for that yeah we're gonna have quite the quite the hall of fame once we finish this uh this series of podcasts it's gonna be quite, quite the uh, rogues gallery <laughs> yeah it's gonna be unbelievable i'm looking forward to a completed list <laughs> right so the only thing we got left for uh for this episode of the mandalorian is the easter eggs um I've uh, I've found a, a decent amount of Easter eggs here to uh, to share, so um, I'll I'll do the usual thing. I'll read out the Easter eggs, and then um, you can you can rate them out of five stars. You Go for be. it. All, All right. right. The 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 raiders of the village are the dog like species Clatuinians. Um, they first appeared in Return of Jedi. Luke lobbed one of them in the Sarlacc pit, and there was a bounty hunter called Castus in the Clone Wars who was the same species. Uh, I'll give you a three because I'm pretty sure they also appeared in the recent Book of Boba Fett trailer. They did, yeah. Yeah. Ando calls Baby Yoda a little womp rat, which are the same creatures that Luke claims he used to bullseye in his T16 in A New Hope. Uh, yeah, three as well. In the bar on Sorgan, Baby Yoda runs in. He has a run-in with a Tuka, which is the same family as the Loaf Cat from Lafol and Star Wars Rebels. Dave Filoni first introduced them in Clone Wars, named after his deceased cat Tuk. Uh, five. We like the off Um Mando meets Cara Dune, an ex-rebel shock trooper. After Endor, shock troopers were used to hunt down Imperial warlords and eventually to keep the peace for the New Republic. Uh, four. There is an ATST Imperial walker terrorizing the village. They first appeared briefly in the Battle of Hoth and Empire Strikes Back, and more noticeably in the Battle of Endor in Return of the Jedi. Uh, three. Uh, this episode is heavily inspired by Seven Samurai, a story of a village plagued by bandits hiring seven ronin to help them defeat their village. Um, this was in the future referenced in a Clone Wars episode, Bounty Hunters, where Obi-Wan, Anakin and Ahsoka Tano join four bounty hunters defending a village from pirates. Uh, four. And the bounty hunter who tries to kill Baby Yoda is a Kabaz, who you might recognise as the same species as the Imperial spy in Mos Eisley in A New Hope. There's another Kabaz back in episode one with the, the little flute calling the speeder. Uh, five. And that's all the Easter eggs I spotted. Um, that's a slightly slightly smaller list because it's very uh, 
there's lots of new stuff introduced in this episode, like the, the krill and the, the, the spotchka and that sort of thing. So yeah. Nice. A good list. Good list. Um, so yeah, that basically wraps up our uh, our discussion of uh, chapter four sanctuary from uh, season one of the Mandalorian. Um any extra thoughts, John, before we wrap up? No, just uh just once again, a great episode of the Mandalorian and thank God that we have this show in our lives. Yeah, definitely. And it's always fun just to dive into these episodes again and rewatch them because it's as you said, such a great show. And um thank goodness that it exists because it's brilliant. In Filoni and Favreau, we trust. As always. Uh, and Disney. <laughs> oh yeah. In the mouse we trust. It's gotta make sure I I'm contractually obliged to say that in the podcast because I'm paid off by Disney. I <laughs> uh, wish. Michelle or Michelle. Um right, okay. So uh we'll be back next week as we send to talk about all the Disney plus day star Wars announcements. So I'm sure that'll be an exciting episode. So make sure you follow, subscribe, like whatever you do on your podcast app to make sure that you don't miss it. Um, make sure you follow us on Instagram at live from Vader's castle, Twitter at Vader's castle pods and subscribe to our YouTube channel live from Vader's castle and let us know on any of those social medias, what you thought of the episode, what you think of the show. And if you've got any things that you'd like us to cover in the future, we'd, uh, we'd like to hear from you. We've got um, our book club ongoing at the moment. So in a couple of weeks time, we'll be getting around to uh, read or talking about Thrawn, the, uh, the, the, the Thrawn novel. Um, so you've got that to look forward to. And then obviously, as we said, Book of Boba Fett coming in the future. So there's plenty on the horizon. Yeah, lots of lots of exciting Star Wars things just in the in the general Star Wars world and on our on our podcast. So uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye. Yeah, see you next week. Bye. <laughs>